0: This year uh, or this month I should say marks my second year anniversary with you all and I am just <clears throat> continually so grateful um, to be a part of this community at the benefit concert I really just kind of I felt like I don't know how else to describe this, this is maybe a weird way to describe this but I just felt like a proud parent <laughs> like sitting on like the front row just like watching out just being like, wow like this is what we're doing together like this is the community that we're fostering and the environment that we're a part of and so It was just an amazing feeling to just be a part uh, of of something that is different than what the rest of the Mm -hmm. Christian history has been offering. Uh, It's really a beautiful gift. Uh, So again, I'm Reverend Josh Lee. I'm one of the co-pastors of teaching and community. He, him, his his are my pronouns. And I don't know if any of you remember this, but how many of you remember MySpace? Throw your hand up if you remember... (laughs) MySpace. Okay, so a lot of us remember MySpace. And how many of you remember, like, all the drama around MySpace? Remember, like, the friends list that you would have, right? So you would have, you know, like, this is, like, triggering for some of us, right? It's triggering because, like, this friends list that you would have on MySpace, you would move it around, for those of you who don't know, like, these are your top friends. And I just want to say thank you, Robbie, for finding a more kosher version, because I had a different image, and apparently there were, like, some things in it that I did not catch as a gay man. And so he found this more kosher image, so thank God. I'm just, like, checking it out again to make sure all is well. Um, but this, this list here um, was always in flux, right? It was always changing. It was, like, depending on who, like, ticked you off or who was gossiping about you or blew you off or, like, in my situation, like, who was flirting with the guy you liked in high school, um, you would move them to a different spot on the ranking, right? And, like, that was, like, a subtle passive-aggressive thing. You'd be like, oh, so-and-so moved me down to number three. Or they moved me completely off their friends list. Or it was also a social cue that like, oh, so-and-so put me on their top friends list. Oh my gosh, I'm number one. I'm their best friend. They consider me their best friend. And then if you didn't put them as your your best friend on yours, then they came at you, right? And they're like, whoa, you're number one on mine. You're my best friend. I should be number one on yours. There was all this dialogue. There was this drama. There was this back and forth. It was ridiculous, and I'm so glad that it's dead. Um, <laughs> But reality is is like this is this was this was like a social tool that was used to help people decide like who were your close friends and who were not your close friends like who was in and who was out who were you ticked at and who were you happy with this was a tool that we often use to sort of give these social cues to one another a lot of friendships and relationships though they really just like face just like myspace it only lasted for a time right uh and many of our friendships and relationships they also only last for seasons And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes our friendships last for seasons because maybe we meet a new person, or we fall in love, we start dating, or we get married, and we just don't have the time that we used to for certain people in our lives. Or the person that we start seeing doesn't vibe with the person that our friends are, persons that our friends are, and that doesn't work. Sometimes friends only last for a season in our life because, quite frankly, we live in an incredibly transient city now, right? Or in in, in a world, transient world, where we're just always moving. Uh, there was a time in American history, particularly when, like, most families just, like, stayed in the same town, sometimes on the same street, uh, sometimes in the, in the same home, like, generations upon generations, and, like, now people are just dispersed and spread out. And so friendships, and because of travel, and because of, we live in a global market, that's changed things. But also, um, another big thing that can really change this is varying ages um, of your kids. I was a part of, went to dad's group this week, and we were just talking about friendships, and what that looks like, and managing relationships, and... Um, and how you know sometimes you you know you have kids and your kids don't vibe with your friends kids or your friends kids are awful and you're like (laughs) I don't want my kids to learn those things Um, so like sorry like let's be friends when your kids grow up Uh, or it's just like, hey, like, maybe there's one person in that, in, in that dynamic that it's just not working with. Maybe they, maybe they have a, just a kid or a partner, or there's a divorce that occurs, and you have to choose sides, and all of these things that get really, really messy, right? Because life is always changing and developing, and it's never easy. There are so many things. Maybe even there's, there's an element of age as, as you get older. Sometimes, like, your energy and your motivation lessens. But that doesn't necessarily mean for just for those who are, who are older or retired. But that can sometimes just mean, like, I'm just so tired of putting time into friendships, and then they move, or then they just end. And I just don't have the energy to do that again. And so we just decide, mm, maybe I'm just okay by myself. Maybe I'm just okay with this one or two friends. Or, and I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now. Um, marking the two years here at Forefront, I was just reflecting on this with Austin. And I just said, you know, in every city I've ever lived in, I've always had a really, found like a really, really close, close friend that like I had like no Facebook filters with, right? And that I just let them know and see everything and hear everything. And I could just be completely and totally transparent. I could laugh and cut up and they understood my humor. I understood their humor. They were the first person I wanted to call after Austin when something bad would happen, right? And and I really struggled to find that in the city. Um, I've met ne- two years. I'm like, what? How have I not found this yet? Like, I don't understand. Um, and sometimes, and I'll be admit, I'll admit, like, I have met two people who I'm like, I'm so vibing with you. Like, you could be my person. They don't have time for me. They have too many friends. They have too many things. Like, I can't, just seeing you every three months doesn't do it for me, right? And so that, that's been, like, one of the biggest challenges for me, in like, making friends as an adult is hard already. Making friends as an adult in New York City? Oh, come on now, Lord, help me. I got to fast for it. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Reverend Vanita put me onto this NPR article um, that was really interesting. It's, it's, it's based on the research from U.S. Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murphy's office. He says, a growing body of research shows that loneliness has a profound implication for physical and mental health. People who are socially disconnected, this is literal science, okay? They have 29% higher risk of heart disease, 39% greater risk of a stroke, 50% increased risk of dementia for older adults. Loneliness can increase the risk of premature death as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. We were not meant to be in community alone. We were not meant to live this life alone. I mean, I don't mean to, like, you know, like, over-theologize this, but, I mean, good old Adam was chilling by himself, and God was like, this is not working. Like, you're talking to trees and things like this. Like, no, 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 this is not what I envisioned. Okay, so he, he creates something, a companionship, right? He creates this relationship because man was not created, woman was not created to be alone. Humans, we are not made to be alone. But often, we do feel, as a song sang earlier, right? We, we, we do feel alone even though we to declare, we are never alone. Because even though Adam had God, he still needed more. He still needed more, and God knew that. It's a beautiful quote here. It says, it takes time and effort to nurture friendships. Instead of putting the entire responsibility on the person to do everything to make, po- make friendships possible, it's nice to have institutions to step up and help out because they can leverage a lot of their resource- resources. This is from Daniel Cox, a senior fellow at the American Institute. And, and I just want to say this, like, this church is a resource that you can leverage to make friends. This is a space and a place where we want you to use our resources. We've been asking folks who, who may be interested in leading a small group or joining a small group to be a part of that. That's how we do this. That's how we create community. Leverage the resources that we have. Leverage the, the opportunities we have to help yourself create that community and to help others find that as well. In our most recent church survey, some very interesting results came in. 41% of you said that the reason you attend church in person is for community and relationships. Basically, right? Like the reason that you're waking up on a Sunday morning and you choose to come is because, not just because you want to watch and observe something, but because you want to be in relationship. If you just wanted to watch it, you would just turn on live stream, right? And many of those who are on our live stream, you are longing for community. I talk to you all the time and you're, and you're longing for community and connection and you haven't been able to find an affirming church in your neighborhood or in your town or in your city and you're just longing to be in community and, and you wish you could be in this room. But that tea, like, watching live stream is the closest you can get to it. and That's a hard place to be. And so many of you join the Kinship Cafe after, after church because you want to be able to talk and get to know and build relationships and connections, even if only virtually, with people who share similar values as you. What was even more interesting was this, was that 60% of us here at Forefront said that when choosing a church to connect with regularly or long-term, that community was the most important thing. The most important thing of why they come to church. 60%. That's over half of us. That the most important reason, the most important thing to them about church is community. However, this was also shocking. Almost half of us only feel moderately or slightly connected to Forefront. There's there's some growth, there's some work we have to do. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not just the staff, because we'll be burned out. It's us as a church. We have to be intentional in order to take these statistics and blow them up, because if people are coming to church for community and they only feel moderately connected, we're doing something wrong. So we have to do more. We have to do better. And that doesn't mean necessarily you need to, like, serve and pull yourself from your bootstraps and, like, all of a sudden, like, just start just doing all these extra things. But instead, to be intent and joining all these extra groups, sometimes it's just being intentional about relationships with one or or two or three people. And all of a sudden, everyone's doing that, or even just half of us are doing that. It creates a stronger sense of community in this this church, which is the reason people are coming. Robin Dunbar Research, uh, he comes with this idea from the Oxford Evolutionary Psychologist's He's done an extensive work on friendship dynamics the study revealed that most humans can only maintain about 150 relationships at once and relationships uh, that's very nuanced it's friendships it's very it's all varying levels of depth but i I wanted you to kind of hear this quote from him he says it takes about 200 hours of investment in this space in in a space of a few months to move a stranger into being a good friend this fits with our data which which suggests that close friends are very expensive in terms of time and investment to maintain. I think the figures are a guideline, he says, rather than like an actual precise number, like, you know, oh, we put 200 hours in now, I'm gonna move you on over to good friends. <laughs> it's not that, but, but instead, it just means friendships require work is what he's trying to get at. I remember when Austin and I first came to the city, like some of the hardest things that we were going through and we, like, we didn't know these until we like did them, we would go on those friend dates, like you know, double date friend dates. And we would go out with people and they would like pick these restaurants that were like, this is a very expensive restaurant. You know what I do for a living. Like, why are you bringing me here? And like, we would often never turn to each other after and be like, we have to find friends in a socioeconomic circle. Like, (laughs) things we've never had to think about before in any of the cities we lived in. Because basically it's just like the same restaurants. Everybody goes to the same restaurants. It's not these different levels, right? And it was like, and then there's other friends that it's like, I love those people, but after hanging out with them, I do not want to sit on the train and I already get back to the next borough. Like, I'm just not interested, right? Like, it, that's a big investment sometimes. And there's other people that I'm like, I'll, drive, I'll sit an hour for you. That's cool. That's cool. Right? And so there's these levels of, of difficulty that, that one has to think about. Like, this is an investment of time. Like, this is a part-time job, it feels like, trying to, like, make this work and our schedules to come together because you're off here and I'm off here and I haven't seen you in three months and, like, now we've got to figure out, like, when, is, when can we plan this out because your whole next month is booked, Right? Making friends as an adult is exhausting. Making it in the city, Lord Jesus, take the wheel. It is just too much. So let me just give you this tool that I think could be helpful. It was helpful for me. I've used it for many, many years, and, um, and I've, I've told many of you about it when talking about friendships, and I want to share it with you now. And this helps me figure out sometimes how much of an investment of time I'm willing to give different people. So it's called your core, your community, and your crowd. In your core, usually you can have about 1 to 15. Honestly, in the city, maybe 10 because it just takes so much more time. Then in your community, it's about 15 to 50 people. And then in the outer part of it, the crowd, it's about 150 people, okay? Which is in step with with, uh, the research that I just shared with you a moment ago. So let me just kind of talk about each of these areas. So the core, it's the most intimate of your relationships, the no privacy settings, the no photo filters. These are the people that they, they shape who you are. These are the people that you go to for wisdom, for advice. These are the people you cry with. These are the people that you just straight up like belly laugh with. These are the people that you get each other. You'll drop everything for you and, and you'll drop everything for them to be able to be there and help them. These are the people who help move you out of your eighth floor apartment. These are those people <laughs> without an elevator. Those are like the core, core, core people, right? Like that's crazy! Or they're just like really love fitness and they don't really care about you. So, one of, those, one of those two. Figure out where to put them. These are the people that you will trust your kids with. These are the people that you will trust your pets with. Or these are the people you'll trust your plants with. That Austin and I have to often think about. Who will not kill our plants while we're gone? These are the people that often speak the same language as us. And sometimes this isn't necessarily like a literal language, it's a cultural language. Because it is exhausting to sometimes have to code switch. Whether, you're, whether that has to do with your sexuality or has to do with your gender or has to do with your race or your economic status, like having a code switch can be tiring. And so the oftentimes these are people that are just very sim, similar to you. Sim, well, that should be a new word. It's very sim to you. Um, this is also people who often share like a very similar worldview. So people who often share like similar morals or religious or political views because remember, these are people that often, like you just like, you really have a good time with you vibe with you. You don't have to like be all like tense and, Where's this conversation going to go? I've got to walk on tippy-toes because I don't know if they're going to agree or not agree. These are often those people. They're in your core. So some biblical examples of this, because, you know, I like to look to Jesus for how I do things. Jesus did this. Jesus totally did this. There were, there were particular people in Jesus' life that he really felt closer to. Those would be Peter, James, and John. And then I would also say Mary Magdalene and then Jesus' mother as well. Jesus took only Peter, James, and John to several things throughout Scripture, did not bring the rest of the disciples. He took them to the Mount of Transfiguration when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, into Peter's house to heal the daughter of the synagogue ruler, and then also in the most trying moment of Jesus' life when praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in his final moments before he was arrested. He brings brings them to this particular place, but also we see Mary, Jesus' mother, as well as Mary Magdalene, And we see James, the only ones who are at Jesus' crucifixion. All the way to the end. Standing by his side, figuring out what to do with his body afterwards. Going to the tomb, grieving his loss. Jesus came, I believe, to show us how to love. So why would we not look at how he loved the people in his life? To help us know how to love better. Both the core, the community, and the crowd. Jesus, with these particular friendships in his core... He seemed to extend to them. He was very quick to extend love and mercy and forgiveness to them. I mean, think about Peter, right? He was very quick to nurture and care for them. As he hangs on the cross, he looks at his brother James and says, take care of my mom. She's your mom now. He cares. He's willing to drop anything and everything. He wants to be there. But he also is good at drawing boundaries, right? Because Mary also comes, his mother, and she's like, hey, we need some wine for this party at out And he's like, that ain't my problem. <laughs> And then he does it, right? Um, he's like, fine, fine. I know you're going to hold this against me, and I'm going to need you to help me move one day. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> so Jesus, you know, he shows up in these ways, in extending mercy and grace and love and being there for his friends. But also, Jesus is good at also creating boundaries in that. Like, we've seen many times throughout scripture where Jesus just, like, says, like, I, gotta, I need some room. I'm going to go up into the desert. I'm going to go off into the wilderness a little bit. I'm going to take some time. It says he often retreated to prayer. Just time to not be around people, to just regroup, because you can't always be around people. And then here's the second group, the community group. So these are the people that you invite to, like, big weekend barbecues, house warmings, Christmas parties. Maybe you go with them as a group to like, a club or a concert. These aren't necessarily people that you would really hang out with one-on-one. These are just people that like, oh yeah, like when we have a group, like this is the people that we invite. These are the people that are, that also kind of come along for this thing. And we like have, we we bond over sort of shared interests or activities. These are people that not necessarily emotionally or intimate or vulnerable with, but people that are just like, yeah, I enjoy being around you. Or like my spouse enjoys being around you and I deal with you when you're here. Um, Or whatever that may be, right? Whatever that dynamic might play out for you. These are the people that are not in your top MySpace friends. And you have some privacy settings and a few photo filters, okay? Jesus' example, I would say, would be the rest of the disciples, the other nine. But I would also say, like, Martha and Lazarus are very much a part of this group as well. This is, we see Jesus crying when Lazarus is dead, and Martha is so hurt and broken by this. We see Mary and Martha and Jesus together in the home. We see Martha <clears throat> also playing a, a pivotal role, as I would say one of the disciples but because men decided who the 12 disciples were as the church was forming mary and martha didn't get the cut but i would say they had just as much of a hand and just as much presence at the feet of jesus as anybody else this relationship with with them was with was was beautiful though and one other example i can think about another disciple was thomas okay so thomas he didn't get invited to the lakeside fish fry barbecue after jesus resurrected okay <laughs> didn't get invited. He was ticked because he was like everybody else got to see this resurrection and now I'm like I don't know if I believe did he did he really rise? And Jesus because Thomas is in his community. Not in his core, right? But he's in his community. He says, "I'm going to spend some time with you showing you my scars." Like I'm going to show you a little bit more of me than maybe the rest of the people in the world will see. Because you have spent a little bit more time with him. You have spent a little bit more of investment. But believe me, you, there were lots of crowds, there were lots of people who probably also were doubting, but Jesus didn't go up to everyone and say, touch my scars, see everything, do everything, let me be vulnerable, let me just put myself out there and give you all the time I have. Because he couldn't. He physically couldn't. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's in all of us, and we get to be the hands and feet and love of Christ in the world. And so, to me, this is what's really beautiful about this, is that You know, there are often people in your community, too, that, like, you will share your scars with. Like, they know you to some degree. They're not your ride-and-die you do everything with, but, like, you do show them some level of your scars. I can remember when I first came out, I decided that before I posted anything on Facebook, I was going to share it one-on-one with those who were in my core and those who were in my community, in, like, one-on-one conversations or in group conversations. I wanted them to see my scars, my battle wounds, the things I had gone through to help move them to be able to see that this was a hard journey and I wanted them to continue to remain in my life. And so I took them and I allowed them into just a little bit more depth than I would anyone else. And then I posted on Facebook for the crowd to see and all the mean comments and the unliking and the, not the unliking, but the unfriending and the distancing. And so this is sort of these levels and layers. So the crowd, though. The crowd, often these are people maybe you might invite to your wedding. Maybe they might show up at your funeral because they saw you one time. Uh, or they knew somebody that knew you. Maybe there's people that, like, once they call to this well, sort of once-in-a-lifetime events or family reunions. Honestly, they may be those casual friendships or people that you just see at church. They may be, the, be those people you just see at work. Uh, they may be those people that you see uh, in the apartment. You're friendly with them, but you're not necessarily, like, friends with them. Does that make sense? <laughs> Jesus, this is his interaction. Like, he, I'm sure he would have loved to, to like, just attend to all of the crowds there were very few times when jesus just swiftly was like i'm going to do this thing for the whole crowd it was usually a crowd and he zeroed in on somebody and reality is is sometimes when you just do one thing like you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car nobody feels special because i'm like we all got a car um and so i mean everyone in the room felt special everyone else didn't right but i think there's something beautiful about like realizing that we can't just treat everybody like they're in the crowd. We can't just treat everybody like they're in the community, and not everybody can be in the core because we don't have time for that. But even amidst the crowd, sometimes it's good to just zero in and to find that person that, like, I just see what you're going through, and I just want to be present in this moment. I can't invest time with you forever, but in this moment, when I showed up on a Sunday morning and I can see you're crying and you're just, like, two rows down, instead of me just being like, oh, dang, this is girls' girls. This girl's going through some stuff. Like, oh, man, I'm going to move my spot. Maybe, like, move your spot one over and be like, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Like, can I get you a tissue? Can I hold your hand? Can I, can I give you a hug? Like, can I pray for you? Can I go back with the prayer corner with you? Right? These aren't people that you can do that for all the time, but sometimes amidst the crowd you see the person, and you love them. Love them right where they're at. Who knows? Maybe they'll become a friend that you move into the community. Maybe they'll be a friend that you move into your core. But you got to start somewhere. you always got to start in the crowd. Right, and you move them to the community and then to the core. But you first got to see the person in the crowd. This is what Jesus did when he called his disciples into the into the inner circle. He saw them in the crowd. <laughs> Should about a Honda? Okay. <laughs> One of the unique things also about the city as I try to as I try to land this plane because that was my social cue um, (laughs) is that that you were like one of the unique things about the city is that like you don't run into the same people all the time. We're like when you live in smaller towns or cities sometimes it's like the same people that you see at church the same people that you see at the one gay club or the one bar in town or the same people that you know go to the same social gatherings and spaces and so like sometimes it's maybe the same person you see in your building or that's in your neighborhood, or you run into them all the time at the grocery store. And so it's like these natural places, uh, maybe even for those of you who are parents, maybe it's like, oh yeah, like I see that, that family when I drop my kids off at school, and I see that family when I take them to this activity, or I see that family when we go to that church thing. Like, and it's just like the same people you see all the time, and so you're just, it's just easy. It's natural because you're just like, oh, this, this is just so natural. We just see each other all the time. We're just in the same spaces because there's not as many options, and It's not as much land and people spread out. But in the city that's not true if you're not intentional oftentimes you may not see those persons again for a long time you have to be intentional to take those steps so here's what I invite us to do this morning I'm gonna give you a little bit of homework to start the fall season as we go back to school I want you to take this little chart that I wrote and I want you to just spend some time with it like who are the people write their names down who are the people in your core who are the people in your community I want you to sit with it, and I want you to ask yourself some questions. Those, those people who are in your core, I want you to ask yourselves, are these people that make me laugh, cry, these people that I want to seek wisdom from, if they're not, maybe, maybe they're not supposed to be in your core. Maybe they're in your core out of convenience and comfort, not out of intentionality. Maybe, and that doesn't mean you need to go up to them and be like, hey, how you, how you doing, bro? You are a terrible person. Like, I'm moving you to the community. Like, I love hanging out with you, but you give terrible advice. Like, you know, like, I don't really want to open up anymore to you. You know, don't do that. Please don't do that. But my pastor said that I got to move you out, okay? Uh, And and so don't do that. This is just internal work for you to do. And this is something you may just be, you know what, maybe I'm not going to spend a ton of one-on-one time with that person anymore. Maybe, like, I'm going to invite them to hang out in the community, like, in groups, activities, I'm not going to bear my soul in that time investment in that way sometimes to them. For those friends who may be in your community, is there anyone in there that you might want to be more intentional with in your relationship with them, with the hopes that they could maybe come and they could eventually be a part of your core? Who in your community maybe do you need to give a little bit more time with, to be a little more intentional? Maybe you need to schedule some things out. Maybe even, so this is what I do sometimes, like I'll, I'll, I'll like put it in my calendar, like, oh, I know this friend is having this thing go on, and like I want to I make sure I text him. But I really do care about it. But I know there's so many things going on. And if I put it in my calendar to text them, then, like, I know that I'll be able to be more mindful to make sure that I show up for them. And it's not that I don't care. It's not that they're on the top of mind. It's just that, like, I have to be intentional so that I don't let it slip off my radar because there's just too many things buying for my time in the city. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but how can you be more intentional in that way? Is there anyone that perhaps you need to create more relational boundaries with and move them out of the community and into the crowd? You see them every so often maybe you go somewhere and someone else invited them but you aren't the one initiating and making the intentionality in that relationship maybe that's just not where you need to 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 invest maybe you have way too many people in your core maybe there's like nobody in your community and they're all in your core and you need to just figure out how to split that up a little bit more so that you can truly have people who invest in you and you invest in them in your core maybe everyone's in your community maybe you haven't let anybody into your core maybe you need to think about who one person could be that you would invite into your core because jesus had these layers because Jesus needed people to love him so that he could love others well. And the only way that you're ever going to be able to love others is if you're experiencing love too. And the reason the disciples and those whom Jesus was friends with were able to love so well is because they watched him and they mirrored what he did. And so how can we be in relationship with one another in a way that's life-giving? The last thing I want to challenge you in is this. How can, the, how can you think about how diverse the people in those cores? In, the, in those spaces are, in the core and in the community. Like I said earlier, sometimes, you know, it is hard to code switch and go back and forth with folks in the core and, and, and to figure that out. And so maybe, maybe your diversity begins in your community, but what are the, are the people in your life, are the women or men or those who are non-conforming or those who are gay or straight or bi or asexual? Like, what is the diversity of that? What is the social economic diversity of the people in your friend groups? What, are the, what, are the, what is the diversity of people who, who are able-bodied and, and disabled? Because Jesus spent a lot of time with a lot of different people, not just one type. And I think that that was not just good for Jesus, but it was also good for those whom he was loving. Jesus, they considered him a friend of sinners because he hung out with people who other people were like, why are you hanging out with them? That's not your type. Those aren't your people. Those aren't the people you're supposed to be riding with. But he's like, who are you to tell me who's in my core and my community? And because of that, there are a lot of more crowds. There are a lot more people for Jesus. To choose from in his relationships and in his life people who were following him, people who wanted to know him and to know what he was about because he didn't just have one type of person in his core and in his community, amen. As we come to the time of communion now, I want to invite you as you come to the table to remember that this is the body of Christ that we're taking, but you are the body of Christ in flesh on the earth. And the only way we're going to truly be able to embody the body of Christ in our lives and in the lives of others is if we're intentional with how we embody what we take here. And so I want to invite you um, in this fall season, sign up for a new small group. Choose to start a new small group. All that sounds like too much, volunteer as a greeter. You're going to make some friends real quick. Real quick, you'll get to meet everybody who walks in the door maybe linger after church one Sunday, stay for the kinship cafe, and when you see somebody, when you see somebody in the circle that shares something that you're like, oh, I really vibe with that, ask them after church, hey, would you want to grab coffee this week? I'm just like trying to be intentional and in making friends and connections. I would just love to just get to know you, and you hang out, and maybe you vibe, maybe you don't, but you got to be intentional, because if you're not intentional, community won't thrive in this church, and it won't thrive in your life. The last quote I'll leave you with is this. is by Shauna Nyquist. She says, It's worth the risk of being vulnerable, being authentic, to have a chance to become real friends. When was the last time you risked, you took a risk with a friend? How did it change or enrich your connection? I invite you, church, take a risk. It'll be worth it. You won't regret it. Juice is gluten. Is juice juice? <laughs> the juice is loaded with gluten. Um, the juice is just Juice. Uh, in solidarity with those who are in recovery, and the uh, bread is gluten-free, so that those who need it, uh, we have that in solidarity with you, and also so our children can participate in this holy act with us as well. We invite you to come. You'll take the elements, you'll hold them, and we'll take them together in just a few moments. Come and receive the body of Christ as you as you respond to the challenge to be the body of Christ in the world. <laughs>